Well, welcome to another episode of Grant's Interest Rate Observer of the Air. I am uh, Jim Grant, and with me today is, of course, Eric Whitehead at the controls, and Evan Lorenz, the great Evan Lorenz, deputy editor of Grant's, and our special guest, David Stockman. Yes, that David Stockman. David, before we get uh, down to fiscal and monetary business, I think we ought to hear from the Simpsons. As you know, we've inherited quite a budget crunch from President Trump. How bad is it, Secretary Van Houten? We're broke. The country is broke? How can that be? Yeah, well, David, how can it be? Well, it it can, and it is, <laughs> and it's, you know, heading in that direction for the last 40 years. Well, you know, uh, David Stockman, for you, those of you who are living on another planet, David um, was, uh, hey, he came from Michigan State University, went to Harvard, uh, um, looking uneasily over his shoulder at the Selective Service Bureau, I studied uh, divinity, yes, divinity, a couple of years, and uh, at length uh, became a congressman, a three-term congressman, but interrupting the third term, was an invitation to serve, which he duly accepted as Ronald Reagan's uh, budget director, as chief of the Office of Management and Budget. And he served there until uh, August 1985, whereupon he left. And uh, when he left, when David left, uh, the public debt, the gross, truly gross, although not so gross as it would become, public debt was $1.9 trillion. And now it's $21 trillion. David, what the heck happened? Alan Greenspan is the uh, kind of the heart of it. And everyone that followed. Bernanke, Yellen. So to, bar- so to borrow from Milton Friedman, uh, the, the public debt is a monetary phenomenon? How so? The public debt was absorbed massively by central banking, led by the United States, by the Greenspan era, creating what I call a disease that eventually enveloped the entire financial system of the world. Every central bank began to imitate uh, what the Fed was doing or bought dollars in order to prevent their exchange rates from appreciating, all of them being good uh, mercantilists and statists. And before we knew it, the balance sheets of the central banks of the world, which were less than $400 billion at the time that Greenspan took the job, ended up two and a half, three decades later at $22 trillion today. Now, that's a lot of bond buying. It's a lot of money when you say it fast. <laughs> I would say, that's yeah. a lot of bond buying. And it was the big fat thumb of the central bank that jumped into the bond market, absorbed this excess supply, and removed the factor that had kept politicians quasi-honest fiscally for the modern decades. That was, and I recall it well because it was the issue of the day when I was in Congress and when we started the Reagan administration, and that was the fear of crowding out, that if the Treasury is going to borrow 3% or 5% or 7% of GDP, then private borrowers were going to be squeezed out of the market or the yield from the good old uh, law of supply and demand was going to be pushed high enough that someone would give way. Yeah, I I think that, uh, and maybe Evan has a thought on this as well, what strikes me so forcibly about these, as you say, deformations, is the hanging question of what's the harm in them. For instance, thanks to uh, the materialization out of the confection of units of fiat currency, uh, which are produced without sweat or effort to speak of on a computer key bed. Thanks to these things, we have, interest rates are at uh, indeed at 5,000-year lows if you look at the negative nominal sovereign bond yields in Europe and Japan. Uh, stock markets are at uh, a high. Unemployment, as measured, is uh, pretty low. We've had the best, one of the longest business expansions in the annals of the National Bureau of Economic Research. So what's the harm in it? Well, I guess the harm in it is uh, ultimately there's not a free lunch. Ultimately, the 
the central banks could not continue to monetize public debts at the rate that they were doing. So ultimately, there will be a protest made in free markets, no? I think... Uh, in what form might this protest... So that so the gold price is, uh, as I'm sad to relate, uh, is seeming lying flat on its back at a $1,300 number down from almost 2000 and 2011. And, uh, and bond yields um, are now trickling back down again. That's trickle-down economics. So that the financial market is far from protesting against these decades of heterodoxy, mm -hmm. um, seem to be rather embracing it. So what is the check? What is the market check on these unprecedented, indeed heretofore unimagined policies? Well, I think um, ultimately free money is a profound enemy of free markets, and the two don't play together well for extended periods of time. In the short run, the free market has basically piggybacked onto the central right. banks, and you've had speculators and what I call the fast money traders figuring out that they could make bundles of money by buying what the Fed was buying, by buying what the ECB is buying. That's how you have the anomaly of interest rates dropping below 2% in Italy, which is more or less bankrupt. Um, the, the issue, though, is at some point, even the operators of the central banks realized they couldn't continue you to yeah. monetize at that pace. Look back, looking back at the, but before um, either one of us uh, got a real job in the early 60s, uh, for three, four, or five consecutive, I guess four consecutive years, the measured rate of, of inflation, CPI, year over year, was less than two. And uh, nobody panicked about that. Um, joblessness was about as it is today, perhaps a little bit lower as measured. Uh, stock prices going up. So to some extent, today's setup resembles the apparent epiphany of the Keynesians in the early 60s. Right, but that period of almost preternaturally perfect alignment of employment, of price stability, of financial prosperity, indeed of economic prosperity, ended with the inflation of the mid '60s, the breakdown of Bretton Woods, and the onset of monetary disorder throughout the '70s. How might a repeat of that play today? What would cause this apparent state of not such badness? Right? I mean, who wouldn't have voted for this in the '70s? Well, the the point uh, that you need to remember about that golden age, and it was. GDP growth was 3.5% or more. The unemployment rate... Uh, this was the early 60s. Yeah, yeah. Uh, dropped below uh, 4% for a sustained period of time. But the balance sheet of the Fed was $25 billion. The Fed was run by William McChesney Martin, who had a decent respect for what you might call honest pricing in the financial markets because he had grown up with dishonest pricing uh, during the late 1920s. So we're in the opposite world today. You have macroeconomic uh, indicators that seem to resemble 1962 to 1966, let's say. On the other hand, you have a Federal Reserve and a set of central banks around the world that are on the other side of the planet yeah. and are in the middle of what I think is the most crucial fact of today, and that is what I call an epical pivot towards shrinking these balance sheets that even by their lights got way, uh, you know, Well, they're visi visibly grotesque. I think you're embarrassed by yeah. them and they yeah. want to feel... The okay, but, um, you know, back when you were in the Reagan administration, uh, I remember as if it were yesterday, there was, a, there was a great hue and cry over the public debt. And uh, people were saying, my interest rate's going to go up because there's going to be crowding out, because uh, you can't borrow at this pace, because, because, because. And bond yields, uh, as we can see now clearly in retrospect, peaked in 1980. 
81 at 15% or thereabout in the 30 year. And, uh, and they proceeded on what has been a 35 year about bull market in fixed income securities, a magnificent bull market. But at the time, it seemed as if it were otherwise. So the public debt tripled and interest rates were halved. That was the menace of budget debt. This caused, I think, Richard Cheney later to reflect that uh, maybe... Proved to you. Yeah, maybe it's not so bad to run deficit. So today we have, Evan, we have uh, the prospect of the, the sales collectively of the Treasury of Securities and of the Fed in, in downsizing the portfolio of governments and mortgages. We have a supply of public debt that is what? In, uh, in 2019, I think it's around $1.6 trillion, if I'm not mistaken, and it'll work out to like 8% of GDP, which is the highest level since 19. 1945 yeah. as a percent of GDP. And that's a conservative estimate. My uh, calculations say 1.8 trillion of debt, government debt in fiscal 2019 needs to find a home somewhere in the bond market. 1.2 trillion of new issue, 600 billion that the Fed uh, will be uh, dumping in QT. So we have never been there before. And I think the point about the 80s is yes, the bond yield was 16%. I remember it well, September 1981. But the CPI at that time was 11% year over year. The real yield was about 5%. Volcker did crush inflation. In fact, much faster than was thought possible at the time. By 1987, the inflation rate was down to 4%. And the budget deficit began to really pressure the bond market. Yields got as low as 7%, but in the course of 1987, yields backed up by 300 basis points. They were at 10% um, by the time of crisis, uh, the meltdown uh, in October 1987. Now, the reason I mention this is that the real yield then was 6%. In other words, the real yield um, didn't drop, but we had a one-time dramatic uh, uh, reduction in the measured rate of inflation. Now, that that's when the whole thing would have come unstuck, save for the giant historical mistake of confusing Alan Greenspan with a sound money man, which Ronald Reagan thought he was. And at one time, he had actually written some pretty good stuff. So Greenspan comes in, the crunch is on, bond market is falling apart, yields are soaring, the deficit is still pushing $200 billion, And Greenspan came in panicked, flooded the market with liquidity, and began the long march to where we are today. The de the balance sheet of the Fed was $200 billion when he took over. It had taken 75 years to get there. During his 19 years, he took it up to $700 billion through two crises and paved the way for the whole breakout under Bernanke. So I think that's the thing. The, the pivot is take the inflation out and insert the Fed and the other central banks and essentially you deferred a crisis that was seeded long ago for 30 years. And now we're at the end of the deferral. We are at the end. I would think so. N not all central banks agree. Uh, just a, a few weeks ago, Benoit Coer, who's one of the uh, governors on the ECB, said, mission accomplished. He said, we and other central banks have accumulated 90% of all boons. We've cornered the market. Therefore, changes in expectations for growth or inflation won't affect the price. We do. We, we own this market. Well, that's true. But I think it's also true that the ECB is right in line behind the Fed in the process of pivoting to QT. You first have to taper. They're tapering down from 90 billion 
in dollars monthly rate to about 10 billion by uh, the summer and fall, and they'll be out by year end. It's the Germans' turn to appoint the next chairman uh, or head uh, of the ECB. If it's a German, which I'm pretty sure it will be, they're going to go to QT because they're embarrassed by a $5 trillion balance sheet as well. They don't think it's sound. And uh, when you have the two leading central banks of the world beginning really an epical shift to QT, others will have to line up. I think the Bank of England will, probably the Bank of Canada. Sooner or later, even the Japanese are going to have to start uh, start stop printing. Already, uh, now that we have an emperor for life in China, and he is uh, you know, putting his uh, henchmen in at the People's Bank of China, they're shifting uh, to a much more restrictive policy as well. So I think that's the key to the both near-term and longer-term future, central banks finally reached the end of this uh, crazy era uh, of monetary expansion. Is it the end or is it the intermission? Well, it uh, could be the intermission. We'll find out. Well, no more in 10 years, I always say. Well, today's podcast is brought to you in part by Audible with its unmatched selection of audiobooks, original audio shows, news, comedy, and more. Get a free audiobook with a 30-day trial at www.audible.com slash grant pod. You know, uh, Audible content includes uh, audiobooks and original audio shows and news, comedy, and more from the leading audiobook publishers, broadcasters, entertainers, magazine, and newspaper producers, and business information providers. So as I mentioned, they've got uh, this 30-day trial for you. Go to audible.com slash grant pod and browse the unmatched selection. Uh, download a free title and start listening. It's that easy. Go to audible.com slash Grant Pod. That's audible.com slash Grant Pod and get started today. Yeah. David, what do you, what does one do about it? Okay, so we have, I think, done a, a fabulous job of describing the uh, prologue and uh, the current state of play. And we've deplored a little bit as we should the world in which we live, except it's the only world we got. So what do you do about it? Well, I think uh, a lot of money was made over the last 30 years, essentially front running the central bank. If you were in the bond pits, the smart thing to do was buy a bond at 16% yield, go to sleep for the next 30 years and uh, capture an, an enormous appreciation. I think what's going to happen now is uh, the smart money is going to start selling what the central banks are selling. And therefore, just as markets effectively overshot when you had 12 trillion of sovereigns trading at negative rates, and when you had the Italian trading under two uh, percent and even the uh, treasury at 1.3. That wasn't just because of all the buying by the Fed or other central banks. It was because the fast money was piling on top. Because of the fast money, the smart money is now going to be selling. Sure. Okay. They will be selling with the, if that But once... you know, David, um, uh, way back when, you and I were not, neither one of us was around for the actual beginning of the 1946 to 81 bear market bonds. But my mother told me about the first few months of it. <laughs> and uh, what I recall vividly is that the uh, long-dated security, long-dated treasury started this journey upward at about two and a quarter, a little less. And 10 years later, it was at three and a quarter, 10 years later, three and a quarter. So the, the rate of ascent of yields was glacial. You could not make a profit by trading that. Why is the tempo going to be faster today if it indeed is? Why couldn't we have a 35-year bear market in bonds that begins, uh, uh, as the musicians might say, with adagio and uh, tempo mm -hmm. and then uh, picks up to moderato 10 or 15 years? 
years from now, and then ends up um, Allegro Vivace for the mm -hmm. last five years. I mean, why can't it start really slow and really untradeable? Well, um, in theory, I guess you could, but I think you've never seen a central bank dump 600 billion of bonds at an annual rate, or even 300 or even 100. This is totally new. And if you have the ECB and other central banks joining, which I think is the scenario for 2019 and 2020, you're going to have central banks draining a trillion dollars at an annual rate or more out of the so, uh, financial so, market. So, so, so this, real interest rates are going up. But, but, but the trillion or more is big on the margin it's yeah, yeah. huge okay so real so real interest rates are going higher is that it i i would think so and yes price earnings ratios perhaps uh, going to go down okay yeah. um so where do you uh invest as it were <laughs> well uh since this is uncharted water clearly uncharted water uh, i think no one really knows the only thing we do know is the casino as i call it is a very unsafe place that furniture is going to be broken mm. that uh, pricing is going to reset and that this is a time for capital preservation, not for uh, sticking your neck out. Um, I think uh, aggressive people can short anything that's in the bubble and probably will uh, do just fine. Yeah. Uh, today's podcast is sponsored in part by Health IQ, the life insurance agency that helps health conscious people like runners, cyclists, weightlifters, and vegetarians get lower rates on their life insurance. Go to Health iq.com slash grant to support the show and see if you qualify. So Health IQ uses science and data to secure lower rates on life insurance for health conscious people. You know, people like you or people like, you know, Envy or something or watch running down the street like maniac. So 56% of Health IQ customers can save between 4% and 33% on the life insurance. And those savings are exclusive to Health IQ. Health IQ can save our customers one third as much as that because physically active people have a 56% lower risk of heart disease and commensurately lower rates of cancer risk and uh, a diabetes risk compared to people who just sit around all day listening to podcasts. So like saving money on your car insurance for being a good driver? Would you like that? Yes. So Health IQ saves you money on your life insurance by living a godly, upstanding, and righteous life and an active one too. So learn more and get a free quote at healthiq.com grant. To see if you qualify, get your free quote today. As I said, at healthiq.com dot com slash grant or mention the promo code grant when you talk to a health iq agent thank you health iq in what currency should one hold one's wealth to preserve it? Um, I, you know, the dollar is the cleanest uh, dirty shirt in the laundry, right? Um, I, uh, if you look at the fundamentals of Europe, they're far worse than ours. If you look at the red Ponzi, as I call it in China, I think it's, uh, you know, half-life is uh, Anything limited. on the, a periodic table, the elements that interest you? <laughs> gold? Yeah, uh, I uh, have no doubt that gold is going to uh, rise, uh, you know, systematically. And in the, in the face of rising real yields, I think gold will go up because when this adjustment takes place, the great confidence in central banking is going to collapse. And there will be a bid for uh, a safe haven asset, which will no longer be the bond, okay? Because uh, the bond market uh, dynamics have changed dramatically. When when you look at your ratio, 1.8 trillion trying to find a home. And uh, 
that's just in the U.S. dollar bond market. Uh, you're going to have a similar situation uh, in Europe. Beyond that, the business cycle hasn't been ended or outlawed as far as I know. If we start at this level, as I say, $1.2 trillion of deficit next year, and we get a uh, recession, which we're about due for, you know, we're 10 years into this recovery. It's the longest one in history. At the end of fiscal 2019, we'll be at month 124. We've never been there before in terms of a, a business expansion. Uh, you know, the supply of government papers is going to explode. And uh, I don't know that, uh, you know, that that's even uh, imaginable at the current uh, at the current time. Remember back when uh, we were just uh, middle-aged people, yeah. there was a phrase, the bond crop never fails. Yeah. It was what the cynic said about uh, bonds when they should have been buying them, by the way. Right. Yeah. Evans, you... Uh... Yeah, David, on, on the business side, what do you think about the bond bulls argument, which is that there's so much debt out there that if interest rates rise just by an increment, it'll crush demand and basically force yields down. And that's the argument that um, Lacey Hunt uh, and uh, Van Hoysen uh, profess, and they say, because the world is so indebted, we just can't afford high interest rates, and therefore we'll have low interest rates for the, for the foreseeable future. Um, for, the, for the what, Evan? Yeah. <laughs> for the next five years. Uh, I guess the argument is that that is going to shut off capital spending. Is that the argument? It'll shut off capital spending. I mean, you're already seeing like auto sales like dip down. You're seeing, if you look at surveys of consumers who intend to buy a house over the next six months, it's starting to tip down a little bit too. Well, you're, I mean, just, just the rise in uh, LIBOR, which is uh, supposedly unadministered, certainly there's no chairman of the central bank of LIBOR. It's just it's an autonomously rising rate, right? And journal page one of the Wall Street Journal this morning said that uh, the rise in LIBOR is, is threatening, you know, this and that and the other thing at 2.3%. Well, I think rising rates will crush borrowing for financial arbitrage, which is where on the margin corporate borrowing is gone anyway. In other words, we haven't had a huge boom in CapEx. Yeah. We've had a huge boom in stock buybacks and M&A deals, but that was simply swapping around paper in the financial markets, driving up equity prices, and that will stop. But I don't see that as causing an offsetting uh, you know, decline in demand sufficient to uh, prevent this um, yield shock that I see coming. Well, all I know about the future is that we don't know it. The future doesn't even exist. Or how can we possibly know it? And then too, David, uh, yeah. the decline and fall of the Roman Empire is not a thin book. Right. Right. <laughs> uh, so why don't we just agree that uh, no one knows nothing about the future? However, uh, the present certainly is a provoking proposition. I think that's uh, one way to look at it. I think the other way to look at it is that, you know, there are some fundamental uh, laws of finance. Uh, there are some fundamental truisms about supply and demand and uh, the way markets behave. We've been violating all of them. Yeah. And we're reaching a tipping point like we've never seen before. Fiscal policy is far more out of control now than it was as I recall, when I was there, monetary policy is done craziness and is now uh, on the brink of having to uh, even reverse itself. Uh, these things uh, we have never experienced before, but they don't bode well. Well, David Stockman, I am going to say, um, and I mean this from my heart, that it's good copy. <laughs> <laughs> so ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening and, uh, and thank you sponsors. And uh, I don't know, I will uh, not see you, but you will hear from us on Grant's interest rate observer of the air uh, like any day. So thank you for listening and goodbye.